It's the Save Democracy Podcast. I'm Steve Goldstein. The Academy Awards broadcast features actors, directors, cinematographers, musicians, and many others being honored for their work in movies. The victors are decided by Academy peers, and the best film, for one, is determined by ranked choice voting. On this edition of the Save Democracy Podcast, I'll talk with Will Mantell of Fair Vote, who earlier this year wrote an explanation of RCV and the Oscars, which you can find at fairvote.org. And as when I featured Major League Baseball writer Jason Stark talking about that sport and how it uses ranked choice voting to determine its annual award winners, this episode features another non-traditional vote that uses RCV. Here's my conversation with Will Mantell. Will, there is obviously a lot of talk with ranked choice voting or Final Four when it comes to changing election systems across the country. But the average person who cares about movies or might watch the Oscar awards may not know that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uses some form of RCV themselves. How long has that been going on and how does it work? So it has been used to select the best picture since 2009. Um, And that starts uh, a little differently from most stories in election reform. It starts with Batman. Uh, So there was a lot of frustration (laughs) that the Dark Knight Uh, that Christopher Nolan Batman movie with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger, there's frustration that that extremely popular movie wasn't nominated for Best Picture. So they expanded the field from five Best Picture nominees to 10 Best Picture nominees. And then you run into a problem. You have 10 nominees, or since we're talking about election reform, you have 10 candidates. And if you just have a choose one election, you can have one film win with just 10% of the vote plus one. You can have a situation where there's vote splitting, where there are three or four films that kind of represent what the majority of Oscar voters want, but they're very similar. And so the Oscar voters are split between them and some totally different film that's totally unrepresentative ends up winning with, again, 11 or 15 or 20% of the vote. So it just makes sense to find a consensus winner in a crowded field. So ranked choice voting has been used in that way, to pick the actual winner since 2009. Ranked choice voting has been used to nominate uh, Oscar nominees for many decades, and it's used in all the big categories. It's used in Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director. And what it does is in a multi-winner race, and again, we're nominating five Best Director nominees, we're nominating 10 Best Picture nominees, is it gets you a really diverse and representative group of candidates. It gets you a group that is kind of proportionally representative to what the voters want. So the way I describe that is, let's talk about best actor. That's a category with five nominees. If about 60% of the Oscar nomination voters like a particular type of actor, let's say type A, and about 40% like another type of actor, let's say type B, then what you'll end up getting is three nominees that are representative of type A and two nominees that are representative of type B. So it's really representative. Uh, It's really making sure that everyone has a voice. Almost every voter has a candidate on their ballot win. It's how you end up with, for example, this year, Tar and Top Gun both being nominated. It's how you end up with women talking and Avatar, which are about as different as you might uh, you know, possibly get on the, on the range of movies both being nominated. It, it truly is a system that 
you know, gives voice and, and some level of representation to, to everyone who is voting. One of the general concerns that comes up, which is sort of thrown out, is ranked choice voting is complicated and it's it's new for a lot of people. So maybe that's a justifiable thing to bring up. But based on how you explained how the Academy Awards go, it's giving people a different number of choices. But if they want to engage with those choices, it seems like it's better to have those options. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of us are used to ranking things, right? So it's not quite as glamorous as the Academy Awards. But when I go to the supermarket, I like whole milk. And if they're out of whole milk, I'll get 2%. And if they're out of 2%, I'll get 1%. Um, and you know, just like that, these are folks who love the movies. And so they've probably seen most of or all of the Best Picture nominees. So they can say, this is my favorite. And if my favorite doesn't win, this is my fa- second favorite, and so on and so forth. And you get the same thing with, uh, with the nomination process, right? You have uh, a list, you have a sense of who the actors, uh, the prominent actors that year were, or the prominent movies that year were, and you can say, this was my favorite, this was my second favorite, third favorite, so on. Pretty intuitive. One thing that also stands out about that for me is, let's say, as with certain candidates, if there are five people on a general election ballot, five nominees per se, five candidates, five finalists, however you want to put that, and there are a certain number of of films that are up for it, not every voter is going to know who every candidate is. And I'm not sure when it comes to the Academy, if, if every person has seen every movie, but it does seem like there is a way with a system like that to not necessarily reward the idea that a bunch of people saw one movie, maybe didn't see another movie. It seems like it's trying to give it truly equal weight. Am I jumping forward there or, is, or does it seem to make it more fair? Yeah. I mean, I think it it does make it fair. It just gives you a better chance to have your vote make a difference at the end. Uh, and again, sort of going back to this idea that we talked about, about a, um, you know, about a 10 film field for best picture. Uh, you know, if you vote in a choose one election and your candidate is pretty unpopular and wins, what, four or 5% of the vote, you don't get to have your voice heard in that kind of decisive uh, final round between, you know, the top two candidates who are really in the running. What ranked choice voting does, and, and you don't have to rank, but what ranked choice voting does is it allows you to say, oh, I realize that my favorite candidate might not win, but I'd still like to weigh in uh, you know, if if it doesn't work out for my guy or if it doesn't work out for my movie. So I think it's just a way to allow voters to more fully express their will. Uh, it's a way to ensure that their voice, their voice is heard when it matters. Have there been any complaints that you've heard about or any concerns that have been expressed by Academy voters or when the results have finally come in as to people not liking the current system as is? You know, it's really interesting and I think it's also really, uh, you know, something that, that election reformers should think about. The group of best picture winners since the Academy implemented ranked choice voting has been incredibly diverse. And so you have movies like Parasite and Nomadland and Moonlight, uh, which are groundbreaking in one way or another. And then you have some movies like uh, Green Book and Coda, which might be seen more as crowd pleasers, uh, but maybe less artistically challenging or less kind of critically acclaimed movies. And I think what that tells us 
is ranked choice voting doesn't necessarily favor one type of movie. It doesn't necessarily favor one type of candidate. What it does favor is whichever movie that year or whichever candidate is able to get consensus support, is able to get both deep support, a lot of first choices, and some level of broad support in terms of second, third, other backup choices. And so the exact film that's going to win in any given year or the exact set of films or actors that are going to be nominated are going to change, but they're always going to be representative of what the voters want. And that's what you're really capturing. And again, I think when you talk about the nominations in particular, you get an extremely diverse and representative set of nominees. And when I say diverse and representative, what I really mean is representative of the electorate, representative of the academy. Thanks again to Will Mantell of Fair Vote. You can learn more about that organization at fairvote.org. That's all for today's edition of the Save Democracy podcast. Music today provided by Epidemic Sound. If you want to learn more about the movement to change Arizona's primary and general elections, please visit the website savedemocracyaz.com. That's savedemocracyaz.com. I'm Steve Goldstein. Thanks for listening.